Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. Now, normally we would have our meditation on breathing, that song, right now. But again, we're changing up a little bit today. I want to have us see if we can stay in this space, this mindset, and actually carrying that into the, the talk today. And I'll explain what I'm doing here. You'll see the stuff up behind me, some that might be familiar from over the, sun, um, over the summer. I got overall good feedback on what we did there, and so doing something similar today. But this time I want to reflect on this idea of mindfulness. And mindfulness as a community activity. Now is there anyone out there who has not heard the term mindfulness? It's a totally new term to you. Okay, I, I didn't think so. It's a bit of a, a buzzword. But there's a lot of definitions floating around. Uh, we can take, uh, for our purposes, a uh, definition provided by John Kabat-Zinn of UMass Medical School. It's one of the pioneers of the study, clinical study of, of mindfulness and its usefulness in uh, medicine and in mental health. And he says, mindfulness is awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. And I might summarize that here to keep it really simple, a quality of attention, intentional awareness that is present and open. So those qualities, intentional, present, open. And this doesn't just refer to mindfulness, meditation, sitting in one place for some period of time, trying not to think. We can practice mindfulness in any situation. Once you get a sense of what it is, it can be helpful to practice it while you're walking, while you're eating, while you're brushing your teeth. You can be mindful of brushing your teeth and what that experience is. Mindfulness has a lot of benefits. You've probably heard that. I won't go over those today. If you want to look those up, you could start with John Kabat-Zinn and his work. In acceptance and commitment therapy, which is kind of part of my day job, I'm a psychiatric nurse practitioner, and you know, a lot of that work is in doing therapy. In what we call ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy, we use mindfulness as a tool to try to 
help clients slow down and see what's, what's really happening internally. We try to recognize patterns of feelings, thoughts, related behaviors that, where maybe we get stuck. We try to recognize what's most important and make changes guided by our values. And there's, you know, I've said before, solid evidence for ACT as something that's clinical, clinically helpful. It's also effective as a coaching tool outside of the, the clinical psychology space. So already when we talk about therapy and coaching, we're talking about a communal activity. In fact, one of the developers of ACT, the title of his book is Mindfulness for Two. It's actually what we're doing in the therapy space, trying to hold a space with and for our clients and ourselves as well, actually. space where we can look at these things. I chose this uh, slide background because perhaps community gatherings that facilitate mindfulness may have a long history for our species. Kind of see how that may be the case there. We don't talk about mindfulness a lot here. We don't have, a, as far as I know, a mindfulness meditation group like a lot of UU congregations might have. But I would argue we do a lot of communal mindfulness, even if we don't call it that. Here's a gathering around a fire at Retreat to the Woods. We we're talking about the emotion of awe, and I experience a lot of mindfulness there. So we can just replace those, those guys on the campfire with ourselves. We do mindfulness. The most obvious part on Sundays is this time of joys and sorrows. So that's why I'm trying to stay in that, that space here. I'll review those words. We say we are here for one another, we're present. And we open up to the joys, the sorrows, the milestones, the whole range of human experience. And it's, it's more than the words, right, that, that signals this shift. My voice slows, gets a little softer. If I'm sitting out there or, you know, for you guys, maybe it's, Shifting in your seat a little bit. If you're slouching like I usually do, you might sit up a little bit. And if you're leaning forward, you might rest back a little bit. Sort of a particular way of being. If there's any like chatter going on, that'll usually subside. A lot of research suggests that we pick up on these cues from one another. I think we've tested it here, but most likely our heart rate also slows down. Our breathing slows. Typically, along with these physiological changes, we will have a mental and emotional shift as well. Maybe our thoughts slow down. Maybe we feel more relaxed. Maybe we don't. 
but maybe we're more aware and just a little less reactive to the things around us, just noticing. Can you sense this thing that we're doing together? Does it make sense what I mean by creating space for each other? And in this space, I want to do something, like I said, a little bit different today. I want to ask some questions that might be difficult. Don't feel pressure to participate. You can sit back and watch, listen. It's important to say this is not group therapy, <laughs> even though I borrow some concepts from that setting. And still, I'll... I'll Remind you, even though this is always the case, you can at any point step out. Actually, some people probably will step out for different reasons, uh, you know, going down to cook or the bookstore or whatnot. So do what you need to do to take care of yourself. That said, here's the first question. And I'll read that because I know it's small. What painful feelings show up when you hear about the recent and ongoing violence in Israel and Gaza? If you have a smartphone, you can take it out now. Please stay mindful. You can mindfully just notice the notifications that are there and not tap on them or respond to them. If you do find yourself scrolling on TikTok, that's okay. Just come back and be in this space with us. If you know how to use a QR code, you can point your camera at the image on the slide there. You might have to zoom in. Or you can open up a browser and go to slido.com. And the number is up there, 1-866-5386. People participating online can do this as well. However, if that's not working or you don't have a phone with you, um, Jay has graciously um, offered to help out with this. And uh, he will give you a piece of paper. You can raise your hand, he'll give you a piece of paper, and you can write on there. And then, um, let's see, is Bruce around? Oh, yeah. And Bruce will put it in on his, his phone for you if, uh, if you need that. And if you don't, great. Um, oh, I see somebody, yep, uh, Mickey, yep, awesome, okay, and you're going to have some time here, no rush. I will mention I did limit it to 20 characters, so really forcing us to get down to just one or two words that identify as an internal experience. And while you're responding, I can give an example that's helpful, what shows up for me. And of course, for me and for most of us, our personal and cultural history shapes the feelings that come up, right? And I wish we had time to share a lot of that history among us. But just to give an example, and for me and for most of us, it's probably a, for me it is, and for most of us, it probably is a complicated history. 
thinking about Gaza. I recall the experience of traveling in the Middle East with a student group in the summer of 1999. I got to visit Palestinian refugee camps and see the conditions there. Then we were in Beirut when the Hezbollah, kind of like Lebanon's Hamas, shot rockets into Israel. Then Israel retaliated by dropping bombs on targets in and around Beirut to put pressure on the Lebanese people and their government to do more to stop the Hezbollah. It's one of the feelings I recall is fear, watching that crossfire of sorts. I was up on a hill looking out over the city and seeing these tracer bullets shooting up while bombs were coming down and dropping around the, the city. I can still picture rushing down a stairwell and when one of the bombs went off somewhere nearby, I don't know where, but close enough to feel the reverberation in the stairwell and even in my, my chest. And then I felt sadness, recognizing that this fear was already so familiar to the locals and their children sheltering in the same building. I felt guilt that my country probably built and financed those bombs that were falling around us. So all of that is here. And then I think of also how heartbroken I feel. Just this, felt just this week meeting with a, a client, a Jewish client, young man, who of course is acutely aware of centuries millennia of anti-Semitism in the world, you know, speakable horrors it has wrought, including the Holocaust, and all the way right up to the recent brutal attacks by Hamas, and anti-Semitism resurfacing yet again here in this country. And though he's only in his early 20s, he's trying to figure out how he can be ready to defend and protect his family from such attacks. With, with all of this together, one of the main things I feel is, and what I put in there, is despair, powerlessness. Not knowing what to do or say that won't feed the flames of this ongoing cycle of violence and oppression that was already old when I was born. Now I'm older. So that's what I put, despair. So let's see what other people noticed, if we can reveal those here. And I'm going to ask uh, Teresa, would you mind coming up to help me here? Okay, steal that mic. Thank you. Um, so. Okay. And I'll... I'll look at what's up here, and we're going to write some things down. I want to, you know, you don't have to write on all of those things. I, I um, yeah, it's too much. Are there a few words that capture, you know, summarize broadly some of the things that are up there? What do we see? I, I'll start with the big ones. Uh, I see sadness and sorrow. Um, so what's, what's the best word there? Oh, sadness, yeah, let's do that. Thanks, Teresa. Yeah, sadness. 
What else do we see? Despair. Yep, yep, despair. It's kind of a, you know, the sadness and the hopelessness. I see horror. I see, I see frustration and maybe we can put anger actually. It kind of captures that. Yep. What else do we see in there? Excuse me? Numb? Numbness, yes. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I see fatigue, similarly fatigue. Like me, I said guilt. I see shame up there, I like that. Um, so let's put, I don't like that, but I, that's helpful. Um, oh wow, I even see nausea, that's, and rage. Um, yeah, we can put that with anger. And fear, I see a lot of fear. I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe we've at least started to, to capture some of that, the feelings that are here when we bring this stuff up. And actually, I know this is heavy stuff. I'm going to go right into the next question right now, and then we'll take a little break. But um, if we can get that next question up there. What are some unhelpful ways that we can act in response to those feelings that we just listed? Can you think of anything? I'm going to give another um, personal example here. At least initially when I was hearing about the terrible massacre in southern Israel and the retaliatory attacks that were starting, I felt that hopelessness, that despair. But I was also busy. So it was really, relatively easy to just focus on work, try to avoid the news, avoid the topic. For the following week, I was talking with my Tuesday group and some others of you that helped me to recognize my own avoidance was getting in the way of living out my values. At the very least, my intention to support all of you was being shortchanged as I tried not to think too much about what was going on. So I said avoiding as the unhelpful behavior, just one of them for me. Let's see what else we found up there. Okay. Oh, yeah, I'm not alone. Avoidance. Oh, sorry. Um, more, more markers here. Yes. Thank you. So, yeah, avoidance, ignoring, right? That's kind of go together so we could, yeah, put the avoidance there. Um, I also see a few things I'll try to summarize here. So I see violence lash out, um, yeah, along with anger. Let's put lash out, I, you know, again, as, as something that we might, um, we might do. Um, blaming, that's a good one. see some that might be helpful here, but I'm just going to focus right now on the unhelpful stuff. Um, arguing, division, ooh, dehumanizing, right? That's easy to do. 
what else sounds like it summarizes some things here? Oversimplification. Mm, okay, yeah, yeah. I see oversimplification. You have one-sidedness, right? Kind of not being, not being open. Yelling on social media. That's a very relevant, relevant one there, yeah. Defensiveness goes along with that. I'm making you work here, Teresa. Yeah. Yeah, we, we can see some of this stuff going on that shows up when we have these, these feelings and the behaviors that can come out of that. So we'll take a second with this here. In ACT practice, when we recognize these unhelpful patterns, we want to look back at those feelings. Not to try to get rid of them, that rarely works. We try to see if we can open up even more room. See if we can hold these feelings in a different, more open way. Way where we can hold the pain together with our values, which we'll get to, and find new ways of responding. There are many ways to do that, both individually and communally. Just by sharing our feelings up on the screen and up on the wall here, we might feel a little loosening around them. Something that helps me personally to hold feelings in a new way, perhaps because I grew up in, in the era of grunge and emo, is sad, angsty music. For me, that's usually alone or with a small group of friends. But since you are all willing to do this with me, I thought I'd take some risk here too and share that with you. So uh, give me one moment. It uh, wasn't too long after my summer in the... Middle East there, and I uh, heard a cover of this song played by Ben Harper at a small venue in Chicago. If you know who that is, he's got a really powerful voice. I'm not promising that, by the way. <laughs> but to me, it was another experience of the power of communal mindfulness, holding our pain together with one another and the intensity of that. So yeah, I'll share that with you. And this is, um, the song is called Indifference by the now classic rock band, apparently, uh, Pearl Jam. It's a pretty heavy, <laughs> heavy song there. Of course, I know that Playing, I feel a sense of release, of emotion. That's why I did it. Did any of you feel that? Experience that? Okay. Yeah. Again, feelings don't normally go away, but we can find ways to hold them differently. Maybe something else would be more helpful for some of you. That's fine. But ultimately, it's about whatever helps us to make more space for those feelings that come up, to hold them differently, a little more loosely, then we might be able to 
acknowledge the pain while also recalling our values. So I started out with a few relevant values from our mission statement and our aspirations. My writing's not as clear as, as Teresa's here, but um, if you can make out the mess there. And somewhere in there we have, have love. And we sang that. It seems relevant. David's talk at the beginning of the month focused on change. And specifically, change not just for its own sake, but towards these values, justice, compassion, peace. David's also been talking about community, that mutual helpfulness serving one another that, that I was forgetting. And as David pointed out last week, these values don't just reflect us. It's actually this society since its inception 140 years ago or so, yes. And they've been reshaped, expanded, clarified, updated by past members. They carried those values in dialogue with history, with the pain of their present moment. And now here we are with the realities of this present moment. There are painful realities here. If we hold our pain, our feelings together, we can move in a direction, the direction of our values as a community. As humans, when we feel safe enough, it doesn't have to be absolutely safe, but safe enough to respond according to our values, our dreams, our hopes, rather than just our fear and pain, that's when we're at our best. That's when we can open up there too and find creative solutions, new ways to respond. So with these values in mind, and maybe others that you want to bring to this, let's go to our last question here. What actions could you imagine taking in response to this situation that would be consistent with our values? Again, let's be creative here. I'll give another personal example to break the ice here. As I was thinking about all this, actually the pain and the values, I was recalling a theme in the Hebrew scriptures of expressing grief, anguish, fear, anger, desperation. By doing what? Does anybody know? How that might be expressed in the Hebrew scriptures? I'll tell you the answer, but you know, just for fun. Okay. Well, you're going to kick yourself because you know it. Uh, a lot of you do because I know you guys know this stuff. Um, that image of sackcloth and ashes. It's not, <laughs> it's not a very modern idea. I was imagining a kind of street theater protest that might draw on this theme in the very heritage that relates to some aspects of this conflict. So that's what I said. I said sackcloth and action. 
at ashes. It's kind of wacky, right? And maybe you think that's a terrible idea, that's fine. But again, this is not about proposals right now. It's just about opening up to possibilities. The possibilities that our values might inspire if we're really open. So let's see what you all said. Uh, maybe we can put the last one in green on the square there. Ah, okay, we have a clear uh, majority here. Or, um, yeah, mode, I guess you call it. Um, a vote, okay, contact legend, let's say vote. Um, yep, yep. I see a lot of protesting. Yeah, um, contact legislators, let's say um, um, advocacy maybe. I see, uh, yeah, I said protest, okay. Um, I see promote uh, dialogue, kind of education, those kind of things, yep. Um, donating, I see some places to donate to, so we'll just say, you know, donating. I see, well, actually there's more stuff related to education and learning, so maybe we'll say learn or, yeah, education's great, okay. I see, I see singing. Yeah, it's a part of it. Singing, yeah, yeah. Uh, anything I'm missing there that seems like it summarizes some of this stuff? I'm talking like this, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, thank you so much. Again, our purpose in this space was not to come to some specific action proposal. I hope maybe some people will be inspired by what we saw there. But our main purpose was to hold all of this together as a community. Over the last couple of weeks, David has spoken about the secular idea of religious culture, which this community was founded upon and which John Dewey helped to articulate our shared awareness of the world around us, our shared sense of understanding, our collective consciousness, that, as he said, determines who we will be as a community. As David said, this is a thinker. You're a thinker, but this quote is a thinker, too. Um, <laughs> Our congregation is what it is, and I'm paraphrasing, because our founding members and prior members were who they were, and it will be what it will be because we are who we are. Heritage gives way to legacy, which forms the heritage of the future. And I would add that this only happens in the here and now, where we hold together our ideals and hopes our aspirations alongside the messy, painful world and our messy, complicated selves. Or as David put it last week, we are amazing, multifaceted, and contradictory beings. What we have is not a God-shaped whole, 
that seeks some universal divine being. Instead, we have this conundrum of human existence, of having human brains, as David said it. And I think you'd agree if I add, it's about having bodies too, because ultimately, thought and feeling cannot be separated. All thoughts exist within a field of meaning and purpose, which are usually experienced viscerally and feed back into how we think part of how we think. The whole in our hearts relates to this, our paradoxical capacity to contain both the real and the ideal. And there's another quote from John Dewey's Common Faith. Clear and intense conception of a union of ideal ends and with actual conditions the ideal and the real is capable of arousing steady emotion. It may be fed by every experience, no matter its material. Mindfulness. He continues, the function of such working union of ideal and actual seems to me identical with the force that has been, in fact, been attached to the conception of God in all the religions that have spiritual content and a clear idea of that function seems to me urgently needed at the present time. He wrote that in 1934, Hitler and the Nazis had taken power the prior year. People come to FUS from all traditions and from having no tradition. Nevertheless, it's often observed that this place looks like a traditional Christian community. If you walk in here, you it looks like, a, looks like a church. But of course, what's, what's missing? What would be here? A cross. Yeah. And I swear I didn't think of this until after I set this up. But right there between our experience of our ideals and our painful realities is where that cross would go. And if I dig back in the now kind of dusty bit of my former Christian theology, where that's stored. That symbol is supposed to represent an executed criminal who is a savior, someone who's supposed to be fully God and fully human, the divine entering into human history. I'm struck by the fact that Dewey helps me recognize in secular terms something I can appreciate about the contradictory symbol in, a sec in that contradictory symbol in a secular way, even though I I rejected the theology surrounding it, and I'm oh, sorry, speaking here and not in a church. What I appreciate is that it's not some truth about a historical figure or about God, it's a truth about human reality. We are this strange mix of beautiful, even seemingly perfect ideals and messy, painful, limited reality. Together we can help each other stay in touch and even at times celebrate all these complicated aspects of our existence. It's not worship we do together. I think it's mindfulness. Let's keep being human in all the beautiful and messy complexity that entails. Let's do it together. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find much more 
about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.